let's talk a little bit about Satanism. Welcome to A Word from Our Outpost with Joseph and Crystal Gruber, a podcast for Catholic disciples who are wrestling to be missionary-minded in their normal, everyday lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Direct, O Lord, our actions by thy holy inspiration, and carry them on by thy gracious assistance, that every word and work of ours may begin in thee, and by thee be happily ended. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's just me today. I hope that's all right with you. I wanted to talk about a topic that is topical for the season and for the year, because I was really struck by the iconography present at the Illinois Capitol Rotunda this Advent season. Apparently, for the past few years, at this Illinois Capitol Rotunda, they've had different displays that get people into the holiday spirit. And there's the typical uh, nativity scene, as you might expect, as well as a menorah, which again, you might expect. But also, there is a Sol Invictus display put out by the Satanists, and amongst the other Sol Invictus paraphernalia, there's a crocheted serpent with crocheted apples on a copy of Copernicus's On the Revolutions of the Heavenly Spheres. And I was really struck by that imagery. Menorah, nativity, serpent with apples. And I thought it would be interesting to break down uh, three basic notes about this iconography that I have found a little bit helpful to think through. So I'm offering it to you in the hopes that it would be helpful for you. So three notes. One is that the, the imagery actually charts out the appropriate Christian response to the presence of the serpent. Two, that the reaction to the presence of the Sol Invictus display and the serpent and apples in particular, I think could we, it would be worthwhile for us to take a step back as Catholic Christians and really reflect on what that means and what that says about the state of the world and how we might appropriately respond. And then third, I just really want to comment on the presence of Copernicus's on the revolutions of the heavenly spheres as part of that display. Because I think it, it, it sort of shows how superficial the imagery is, and it, it's worth just pointing out and, and clarifying that point. So the first, the first note, the first two images that I, that I listed, the menorah and the nativity, they represent the Christian response to the third image, to the image of uh, Satan uh, as a serpent presenting the world with apples. How does that work? So the menorah is there to represent the cleansing of the temple by the Maccabees and the celebration of the temple having been cleansed of all of the pagan idols and the the desecration the abomination that had been going on under the influence of Antiochus Epiphanes. So the under the Greeks, they were trying to subvert the culture of Israel, and they were especially trying to uh, 
destroy the the religion of Israel. The, the religion of Israel does not play nice with other religions. From page one of the Torah all the way through, it is not a religion that plays nice with other faiths. And so the the Greek ruler of the time was particularly perturbed and particularly desirous of making a mockery of Israel. All right, so do I mean that the menorah is saying that we should take up arms against those who would put pagan imagery in the world? No, I do not say that. Uh, I mean, there, there are times and places for crusades. I think we're all willing to admit that. What I am saying is that the history of Israel, because Christ took upon himself, he re- recapitulated the whole of the history of Israel in his own life, and that we have been baptized into the life of Christ in a very significant way, every Christian can look at the history of Israel and say, that is my own personal history. Right? I have become a microcosm. I have... I have have internalized this history of Israel. Everything from the the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt through the the disputes about who will rule the the nation of Israel to the the problems with idolatry from within and then here in the in the time of the Maccabees the the pres- the problem of idolatry imposed from without all of these we can internalize and say, oh yes, I too know what it is like to have been baptized, to have passed through waters, to come out into freedom, and yet to long for the state of slavery that I have been in. I know what it is like to want to be like everyone else and want to be ruled by the powers of this world rather than by the authority of God. I too know what it is like to be tempted by false idols And I, too, know what it is like for false idols to creep into my life. And so the the imagery of the menorah for the Christian is a call to cleanse the interior temple of ourselves, to look at our lives and say, in what ways have I allowed into the Holy of Holies, have I allowed pagan influences, have I allowed... uh, lesser things to take the place of higher things. And this can be, you know, I, I, maybe I'm not the only one who prays the Liturgy of the Hours on occasion, and I'll do it on my phone, and sometimes I'll end up opening a Facebook app or a Twitter app instead of opening up iBrievery as I had planned. Am I saying that Facebook and Twitter are necessarily satanic? No! But I am saying that there's something diabolical about putting those lesser things above something that is higher. And so it's a call for me to say, do I have the strength, do I have the fortitude to really cleanse what ought to be clean? It, when, we, when we see iconography like, like at the Illinois Capitol Rotunda, it should be a an examination of conscience. It should be an opportunity to say, in what ways do I allow false gods to take the place of the one true God? 
I, and I think that's, especially in the Advent season, it's a worthwhile thing to consider. It's especially worthwhile to consider prior to going to confession, to the sacrament of reconciliation. And so, you know, praise God that there is an image that it so forcefully puts itself out there to call us to, to, to remember, I too fall prey to what happened in the time of the Maccabees. I too live in a world that would love to invade my life with images and passing things and fleeting pleasures and illusions of, of grandeur and illusions of, oh, all sorts of different illusions out there of being connected when I'm not really connected of, of, um, yeah, so many, so many false gods out there. So, examination of conscience with the menorah. The second image, the nativity. I think a lot of people are bothered by the fact that there are Satanists out there. And this is not an episode where we're going to break down the difference between the atheistic Satanists and the theistic Satanists. There are distinctions there. I, I know the distinctions roughly well. I, I sat in on an atheistic club meeting where we spent an entire hour, hour and a half discussing the differences, pros and cons and all that. Um, but I'm not going to be talking about that now. I'm, I'm going to be talking just about how the response might be, oh no, there are Satanists in the world. Whatever are we going to do? This should not be a surprise. This, this should not be uh, something that shocks us that people would prefer their own will over the will of God. Any examination of conscience that you have ever done, you will have revealed, oh no, I too have done that. The, the second image, the nativity, is the fact that God himself has invaded history to rescue us. Right, The menorah tells us that we have internalized the history of Israel, and the problems of Israel are also, in some way, shape, or form, they are the problems that we face. And the nativity says, yeah, you're not going to be able to solve it. Here's the solution. And the solution is going to be the most unexpected of things. The solution is actually going to be the invasion of the world in humility by a baby. And, and that's what we need to save us. A, a, a baby will save us in a way that we cannot. So the menorah... We probably don't have the, the, the fortitude to really cleanse what needs to be cleansed, right? This was, this was a huge problem with Second Temple Judaism as a whole, is that the whole project was a little bit doomed from the beginning. Like, they, they weren't able to totally reclaim the glory of the First Temple. And that's sort of our, our situation as well. We, we can't claim the glory that was lost in the fall. And so the answer is in the humble acceptance of Christ and to allow him into the messiest part of our lives. I, I was at a penance service the other day, and I, I, maybe I always come to late to penance services. This was the first time I came on time, where apparently penance services include a liturgy of the word, including a 
homily and then a group recitation of an act of contrition, in this case, the confidior. Um, anyway, the, the priest was talking about the, the receiving of Christ and will we be able to receive Christ in our hearts? You know, nobody received Christ. Uh, you know, all of the inns were full. Nobody was taking it in Joseph and Mary and the Christ child. And so he came in to the world in a stable. He's like, well, are we going to welcome him? Like, actually, I, I'm not to not to get argumentative with a priest who's not present. But really, the place that he comes in is in the stable of our lives, because our lives are a mess, and that's where he's coming in. He's coming in, um, starting from the bottom up, starting where our passions are all out of whack, where everything's out of priority, and that's what we welcome him into. Either we welcome him into the stable, or I, I, I just don't know very many people who are able to welcome him into any other part of their lives, because basically it's all stable prior to Christ. So, that's the first note about the iconography at the Illinois Capitol Rotunda, is that the menorah and the nativity chart out the, the Christian response to the third image, that of the Sol Invictus display in general, but also the serpent with the, with the apples. The second note I'd like to talk about just briefly is that the consternation, the anger, the disbelief that such a thing could happen, that, oh, in this sacred festive time, that the Satanists would spoil everything by putting this image in and putting up this display. That seems like uh, maybe not fully comprehending what is happening. Because I, I, I think that there should be less outrage at this display and more sorrow. Now, I'm not telling you, dear listener, how to feel. I'm just saying that objectively, it is a sorrowful thing that people choose the radical glorification and promotion of self against the world instead of embracing the divine economy where all is gift. These are people who say, I take the, the side of the serpent. When you and I both know, dear listener, the serpent's head gets crushed. That's not a, that's not a pleasant place to be in. This is not a pleasant place for them to be in. The, they're saying, I, I want to assert myself against the world, which, and, and dear listener, sometimes it, it's half sorrow and half exhaustion thinking about that, thinking that I need to stand in the world against everything and assert myself before everyone, and I will not bow to anyone, and I will not accept any authority over me. I'm like, I... I don't think that's a very tenable position in the long term. And it just flies in the in the face of of so much of reality against natural law, against divine revelation, against the desire to know and be known, against the desire to make an authentic gift of oneself, this this higher calling out of oneself uh, to to become pure gift. That, that Satanists are saying, we don't 
acknowledge that that is a thing, or if it is a thing, we think it is beneath us. And that's a sorrowful position for them to be in. And I think it it may do us well to have our hearts broken for such people. And, you know, maybe people would say, Joseph, you don't want to be condescending or rude. I I mean, they're they're taking the part of the, the guy who got kicked out of heaven and the guy who's going to get his head crushed and the guy who's just a liar and the guy who doesn't care about them. And they're taking a position where they say, I don't have to care about anyone. Uh, so I don't know if it's condescending of me to say, I feel bad for those people. And I hope that they find a different way. So that's the second note. If any of you have seen this news article or heard people comment on it um, and, and wondered, what is the right response? I can't tell you what the right response is. I'm telling you the response that I've been having and finding it a lot more fruitful and a lot uh, a lot more um, respectful of the fact that I too fall prey to those tendencies. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had to go to a penance service unless I wanted to just point and laugh at all the sinners, unlike me, you know. But that's not what I did. I had sins to confess because I'm not a great guy. All right, third note, just really struck by the iconography of the serpent being all twirled around a copy of Copernicus's, um, what's the name of it, on the revolutions of the heavenly spheres. So I'm just really struck by this, ladies and gentlemen, about how shallow this, this understanding of the, quote, knowledge of good and evil, end quote, bit, how, how it's been sort of flattened to just mean knowledge, such that Satanists would claim Copernicus as part of their ranks. Now, that, that seems such a ridiculous place to be in, because as near as I can tell, the choice in Genesis 3 that our original parents ha- made, it wasn't to learn something. You know, we as Catholics, we believe that our original parents had an overabundance of knowledge, that God blessed them with with great knowledge. They had preternatural knowledge that when they fell, they were in the best position they possibly could have been prior to the fall and that they were not lacking in knowledge. So it, it wasn't a question of knowledge, period. It was a question of knowledge of good and evil, which meant that they became uh, arbiters they got to choose what is right and wrong to impose value upon the world rather than to perceive it and to receive it and to make a right response to it. So just really struck that the Satanists think that they're on the side of knowledge when we literally, as Catholics, we worship a guy who says he is truth, that he is the incarnation of the word of God that is the divine logos, the ordering principle behind everything, that the the whole rationale of everything is revealed by God because it comes from God, the divine mind of God. And they think they're on the side of knowledge. And it's just a strange thing. And I I also recognize they, they chose that book in particular because it was a banned book the whole history of banning books and and why particular books might have been banned and what the banning meant 
prior to the printing press is a is a it's a much more complicated issue than the kind of flattening of the issue uh, that they're making it out to be. Um, and this is probably not the time to, to, to unpack why banning books could be a good thing and in what circumstances banning books could be a good thing and what a ban actually meant. So this is probably not the time. Just the, the larger point, though, that there are people out there who think that Satan is on the side of knowledge. And it's such a, an awful thing. Christ says that, that Satan is the father of lies. He is the deceiver. That, that's not the place where knowledge comes from. That's the place where confusion comes from. That's the place where uh, illusion comes from, where, where counterfeits are made, where unreality is being espoused. Whereas we worship the creator of reality, the one who, who brought everything into being. And so it, it's just like sad, again, like a, a sorrowful thing to think, oh, Satanists think they're on the side of knowledge. When they're putting out a book that was written by Copernicus, who, who as far as we can tell, was a practicing Catholic. I don't know how good of a Catholic he was, you know, but very few of us are very good. But as far as his professed belief, Catholic, and they're like, oh, he's on our side because the book was banned, and we're on the side of knowledge. Like, that, no, like, this is this is not the iconography of the serpent and, and the apples. That's, that's a total misread of Genesis 2 and 3, and it's a total misunderstanding of what Satan actually promises and what Satan can actually give. And also what the, the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, and, and what his, his incarnate son promise us. So that's just another note. It, just a, a silly, silly display. All right, so as we get closer to Christmas and Hanukkah, and I guess even as we get closer to the celebration of pagan gods known as Sol Invictus, it is good to reflect on the difference Christ makes in life, because he does make a difference. If, if we believe that undergirding all of reality is a love that sustains the world, the motion of the heavenly bodies is actually moved by the love that, you know, as Dante says, it's the love that moves the sun and the stars, and that we're invited into that love, that that love is accessed through humility, that love is accessed through a desire for purity. These are, these are good things to keep in mind. Christ makes a difference. He can make a difference in my life. My life can be better the more I surrender to him. And my life can be just, in, just inordinately worse if I choose pride and if I choose to assert myself. I just don't know of any husband who does a better job saying, I am going to assert myself against all, and I will not serve anyone. Like, that's a miserable family life right there. That's, that's, a, that's like a, a father who doesn't change diapers and, and doesn't seek to serve his wife. And how miserable would that be, both as a, as a husband and a father, but also to live in such a home? Miserable. Goodness gracious me. Much better 
to to try to imitate Christ and to admit when I fail. That is just for like the health of relationships. If if all we wanted was just hey, there's only this life and hey, you know, what's going to make this life the best? Uh, I'm still going to say this whole Christian thingamajig is going to be a heck of a lot better long term than than the the Satanist creed. So those are my notes. Hopefully this is helpful for you in this Advent season. Please rate, review, and share this podcast. We'd greatly appreciate it. As we're about to launch our own ministry in the next couple of months, uh, as many of our listeners may know, we've been working as Catholic missionaries for a Catholic missionary organization for low these 13-ish years. In the next few months, we're going to be launching a ministry particularly for marriages. Uh, We just have the hope of awakening authentic Catholic culture through holy matrimony. To that end, uh, we've already been putting out a course on dating like a Catholic. So for the Catholic singles out there, uh, we have a six-month course on how to date like a Catholic. You can go to dating.ouroutpost.org to learn more and to to sign up. A lot of really great content that my wife and I are putting out with monthly Zoom calls and articles and worksheets and Um, I'm really excited about it. That's just one small piece of what we'll be putting together in the coming months for our ministry, but it leads me back to the point of rating, reviewing, and sharing this episode uh, so we can increase our audience, so we can serve more people, because honestly, uh, unlike Satan, we we want to serve. It, It is our strong desire to be of service, especially to you and to those that you love. So, That's all I have to say about that, and I'll close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. You sent your only Son, that we might be your sons and daughters through adoption. You desire us to know you, to love you, so we might be with you. You have allowed Satan to work in the world. By your gracious will, you have given us temptation that we might be purified, that we might learn humility, and ultimately that we might come to know you more. I pray, Lord, that we may serve you and serve you willingly, unlike Satan who serves you unwillingly. Lord, please bless all those who listen to this episode, enrich them through your grace and your mercy, and may they have a blessed Advent. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. From our outpost to yours, thanks for listening. And a special thanks to John Mark Skoke. That's S-K-O-C-H. For the music. Check him out on Spotify. 